Hello and welcome to another episode of Starside Chats. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Owens, and joining me as always is Aaron Capo. Hello! And this week we're doing our top five episode, top five games of 2023. Well, um, you told me you have ten. I Yeah, I could do a top ten list, uh, so I could go through ten games. Um, but we're doing an official top five. Now... I think the one thing we need to sort of address at some point is whether we want to continue on with our sort of game of the year watch top 10 builder that we did this last year as sort of an experiment. I, it's solid, I think. And I like reordering them throughout the year. But I think invariably both of us will have different top fives or top tens. But I w- I'd be comfortable with having like personal top tens as opposed to like, like the podcast yeah. top ten. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think uh, we could almost drop it because of the fact that, one, we didn't really engage with it for long stretches of time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But also, like, I don't want it to be sort of a spoiler thing for our top 10 or top five episode once we get to it. That's a good point, yeah. So, especially since we're going to have different lists anyway. And if uh, it just, like, is a dead giveaway for what our... (laughs) Our uh, games of the year are going to be later on. I don't know. I thought it was a fun idea, but um, I did too. Yeah, I don't know if we'll go forward with it this year or not. But um, so yeah, we're going to do that, and then next week will be like our most anticipated games of 2024. Things and, to look forward to. Yeah, stuff like that. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit more about Hollow Knight this week since I I was glad a little that- bit more. Yeah, I was going to bring this up before we uh, do our big lists. I was going to ask you how you've been progressing because we talked offline, I guess online, but off pod. uh, And you sort of, you said you immersed yourself in the world of Hollow Knight over the Christmas break. Yeah, so last week we talked a little bit about how I was progressing. I made a little bit more progress uh, this week. I didn't play as much as I was hoping to, but um, I basically did a lot of cleanup this mm. week where I, I found all the grubs. I went to the hive area, which I had not been to before. And I took out like the collector boss and the hive boss. And I believe I have all the charms except for like the King soul slash void heart one that right. you have to go to a special area to get. Um, and so, yeah, I think I'm pretty much, Oh, I did also awaken the dream nail. Um, good which you need to do that yeah you have to do and that one like i went around and did all the what are those the whispering the roots. dream warriors yeah uh, oh yeah the whispering roots so i did all of those and yeah i did the dream warriors as well but you like still come up short of like the i think 1800 that you need to awaken the dream nail and so i forget what the name of the boss is but he looks kind of like the uh the hollow knight you're playing but he has like he's a little bit slumped over and he has like an orange thing coming out of his head Mm -hmm. uh you can dream nail him and you get like a second fight with that guy yeah and uh so i did that and got some more what is it called essence out of that Mm -hmm. and that ended up being enough to awaken the dream nail so i did that and then um i think like Pretty much all there is left to do at this point is to go to like what is it called the Pale King's Palace or whatever it is. 
Yeah, there's like a, a an old guard or something sleeping in front of when you there's like the the rail station or the stag station at the uh, ancient basin. You have to basically run by where the palace used to be or whatever. Now it's like inside someone's mind, I think, is if I understand the lore correctly. And so you dream all that person, you go into the, the white palace or like the pale king's domain or whatever. And then, yeah, you have to do some stuff to turn the void heart into the king's whatever. King's heart? I forget exactly what it is. It's been yeah. once and in there is also the most difficult thing, which is the path of pain, which is totally missable. And also not required at all, and I don't think affects anything. Yeah, I was going to say, from what I understand, it's completely optional, and you just get yeah. some, like, lore at the end of it, so you don't even get, like, a special item of any sort. No, you don't. But I, I do have that uh, hive charm that you recommended getting if I was going to try the Path of Pain. So That really helps because it will – you can just, like, chill out, and your your uh, – health will restore itself which is super useful for the path of pain because it does give you some areas where you can just like sit for a second and you want to start from the beginning but how are you liking it i like it a lot i um i wasn't sure at first because we talked about last week about how i got stuck in the deep nest for a long time and that Mm. i found a little bit frustrating but overall i'm enjoying it i like the art style of it i'm enjoying the combat which is like simple but like really refined and i i a little bit wonder if like when i go to other metroidvanias if i'm gonna be like this is not hollow knight enough or yeah it's uh the the ability like uh jump off of people like to like slash your sword down and bounce off of them is so satisfying i didn't really ever engage with i got all three nail techniques but i never really used them for whatever reason. Yeah, I kind of don't like that you have to like hold the button yeah, and charge wait it up. for a certain amount of time before you can use it. So it, they didn't seem crazy useful to me. Like just in the heat of the moment in combat when you're surrounded by enemies, am I going to like hold the button and wait for like two seconds before I can actually slash at them or am I just going to go slash at them? Uh, so you did I, it right. I haven't used them a lot, to be honest. We were talking, uh, we were texting about it. And you were talking about how uh, you were wondering if cloth was ever going to appear to help you with a boss fight. Uh, And I was worried because there is a way to play the game where cloth dies in a very sad way. Uh, But you played the correct way, which is to encounter cloth, I think, two or three times, but then don't encounter her in the tramway. Because in the tramway... You, she is like fighting people and then you defeat them all. And she's like, oh man, I feel super strong. I can do anything. And then when you fight that traitor lord or whatever, she pops out and she's like, I'm strong. I'm going to help you. And then immediately dies, <laughs> which is a bummer. It all, I mean, it helps you to defeat the boss because she does do some damage to him. But then there's like a very emotional part where she gets killed. But you did it the correct way where you killed the traitor lord before having encountered her in the tramway. So she should appear somewhere in your main town and just like be super chill. And I think she I forget her like final lore, but I think it's that she's going to go explore somewhere else or like leave the boundaries of the town. So who knows? Maybe she'll be in uh, Silk Song. I don't know. Yeah, I was wondering that. I, I, I thought I had encountered her in the tramway. Uh and so I almost expected her to show up during the mm. Trader Lord fight because I'm pretty sure the sequence of events was I did find her in the tramway and then later 
did the uh, Trader Lord fight, but she didn't show up. So maybe I didn't find her in the tramway and I need to go back there because she hasn't shown up in my town either. So did I'm, you, uh, I'm not sure. Have you, did you interact with that banker over in like the jellyfish area? Yeah. Yeah, I did the banker thing because I needed uh, the geo to um, upgrade my uh, breakable charms to unbreakable charms. Yeah, I, I got every charm and then, well, I almost got every charm. And then I, in the process of doing that, gave that girl my, uh, one of my charms to like put in her tube or whatever. Um, and then I couldn't get all my charms. So I had to like, before I beat the final boss, I had to like grind for a bunch of geo in order to get my charm back. Wait, so do you, does it give, did you get the thing for having all charms now? Um, no, or she hasn't I, given it? I don't have the, the King soul void heart one yet. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I have to get that first and then I know there's a way to like banish the grim troop without like having to fight the boss yeah. there. Again, I don't know the lore of like the Grim Troop and whether it's like the story implications are like, oh, you definitely want to like play this out and fight that that boss, or if it's like better to just like get rid of them. I know like from a charm standpoint, people like the one that you get for banishing them better than the one that you get for like playing it out. But I, I mean, I don't know that I would use either one of them. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is controversial, but and I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I I didn't super like the Grim Troop DLC. I mean, I came to this, we both came to this super late, so it's not like we were waiting for DLC and we were disappointed, but when I bought it, it was like the full package, and I initiated the DLC, and I was just kind of like, this is, I mean, like a circus thing, this isn't really like my jam. I didn't really engage with it. I got the charm to have the little thing follow you around, but... That and the, uh, like, God Soul or whatever DLC, I also, I didn't even go down and, like, unlock that thing to go into the, I don't even know what it's called, actually, uh, that, like, boss rush area. Yeah, I was going to so, say, the, the two DLCs are really more, like, the Grim Troop one is really more, like, this is just, like, additional content as you're playing through the game. It's not, like, something yeah. you're going to engage with if you've already beat it and you're coming back to it to be like, hey, what's this new thing? Uh, it's not really good for that. Uh, it's really more if you're going to do another playthrough, like, full playthrough, there's, like, it's just a little bit more content to it. And then, yeah, there's the boss, ru boss rush stuff that they added, which I don't really care about. Because yeah. I'm not, like, looking for this, like, insane challenge of, like, defeating a bunch of bosses, but... I The thing I like the most about Hollow Knight is the exploration and, like, the music of new areas and just, like, discovering new things. And the bosses are fine and, like, very rewarding when you beat them. I definitely felt like, you know, you have that, like, sweat, like, your hands are sweating kind of thing. You've tried to beat a boss a couple of times and you finally do it and it, it does feel very good, but... I, honestly, the bosses are not why I go back to Hollow Knight. It's usually the exploration and just like the interesting characters you meet and whatnot. So that DLC being basically just bosses doesn't really do anything for me. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking about it too. Like, I it was a little bit of a, a case of something similar to Elden Ring for me where like I was able to basically put off doing some of the bosses until I had upgraded nail and mm. like my health and gotten some good charms for combat. 
And so you were telling me about how I could go face the, the Mantis Lords and how that would be like a fun, difficult fight. And by the time I got around to doing that, I was like strong enough that it really <laughs> wasn't much of a challenge. And so it didn't take me more than like a try or two to finish them off. Wow. Where, and but like the uh the Silk Song character Hornet. Hornet? Yeah, that like the second fight there was pretty difficult for me. Yeah. But like it's sort of one of those things where it really just kind of depends on where you're at in the game when you go to to fight some of these bosses. And I'm finding you can a little bit like if you have enough health and you're able to avoid them well enough, you can sort of tank them <laughs> enough to just like <laughs> defeat them in one go. Um, as uh, It might take you like a try or two just to like understand the patterns of their movements and attacks. Um, but otherwise, like the bosses, I, I wouldn't say I got stuck on one particular boss so long that it was like... Um, something like a, a case of Elden Ring where I had to like really learn how to do the fight uh, against like uh, Melania, for instance, mm. uh, in Elden Ring or even like in Grime. There's this like it's a little bit of a ramp up of difficulty with one boss where I think it's like a vulture or something like that. It's like a big skeletal vulture. Like that's a very memorable moment to me in that game because the boss is like one, it's huge and crazy to look at, but also like you really have to learn the mechanics of it. And uh, you feel really good when you finally take that boss down. And I remember it being like a challenge when I first got there uh, that I had to like really try multiple times. And same with kind of like some of the late game bosses of that one. And Hollow Knight, like they're uh, they're good bosses too. And I feel like people remember those like more for like the pantheon runs mm, where they've like mm. stepped up the difficulty and the bosses do like two health damage as opposed to just one so they basically yeah. have your health um they cut it in half and then uh that makes the boss more difficult and so i don't know like the also the grim troop boss i've heard is pretty difficult and like yeah. i haven't beaten that zote guy because that zote fight was like I tried it maybe once or twice and I was like, Oh, this is actually pretty difficult. <laughs> I maybe need to go, uh, upgrade nail again before I come back to this. But, um, so it's not that there's not like difficult bosses in hollow Knight. They're definitely, they definitely are. But, um, I didn't, some of, I don't, I wouldn't say so far again, I haven't done like the, the crazy Pantheon runs or like the mm. boss rush stuff that people are like super, like they love hollow Knight for, but, I'm a little bit like you where like crazy boss fights isn't exactly what I'm looking for out of a game like this. I really just enjoy the exploration and uh, building up my, my character and making them stronger and uh, finding cool items and stuff like that and getting new abilities and uh, sort of using the different movement abilities to get around the map. I find that stuff very fun and satisfying and like the boss fights, if they're, somewhat challenging but not like cr soul crushing <laughs> i think that's a, a pretty good uh place to be and hollow knight probably is somewhere in that range where the first time you fight them anyway they're definitely not soul crushing uh <laughs> I, but i would imagine some of the if you're doing them later on it's probably it maybe gets to that point <laughs> 
Well, so you sound like you're pretty close to confronting the Hollow Knight. Yeah, so I, as I understand it, if you're going for like, for one, I don't think I will platinum this game because I think it does involve like going through the Pantheon and doing all the crazy boss rush stuff that I don't really care about. Uh, But you you can get like a, a trophy slash achievement for the different all the different endings and so it's possible that i could just go confront the hollow knight and get like some of those trophies or whatever and then go back and do like the pale king's palace or whatever and go through all of that area and get the other ending but i think Mm -hmm. i will probably just not want to do that multiple times through yeah so i probably will just go into the the palace and uh explore that area and then finish the game off but but yeah i i'm looking forward to finishing it uh, and having a a sort of another big metroidvania under my belt but i don't know again we'll maybe do like a top five top ten metroidvania list at some point and i'm curious once i start putting that list together where hollow knight will fit for me I have one final question before we we can move on to our lists. But uh, what's your like default pin setup or your charm setup? I mean, mm. well, so while exploring, I do always have like the wayward compass and um, that one that makes Geo like go to you. Yeah, the little um, swarm. Yeah, and I I was using the unbreakable greed one because i was like farming geo to Mm. buy the other ones but uh i like that one that deals damage as you dash through uh, oh yeah it's like sharp something or other sharp shadow or something like that yeah something like that uh and then i also like for a long time i was using that long nail one just to have Mm. some more range but i have switched over to like unbreakable strength just to have more damage. Like I can one shot a lot of the common enemies that you find. Yeah. Uh, and so I've been using that and I should use quick slash, but quick slash is like, I don't know, three notch. <laughs> it's like a three notch charm. So that takes up a lot of space, but um, I also hear, cause I've, I've looked at some like, charm tier list basically or people talking about Mm -hmm. like the best charms in the game and people are always like yeah the the shaman stone one and the one that like makes it so that you can or it consumes less soul when you fire off a a spell of some sort i hear those like are very strong because like the spells in this game are super strong against bosses and they like a lot of people either just use nail and try to like upgrade nail and, and use uh, the unbreakable strength to basically just do like a nail uh, setup, but they recommend d- using spells uh, because spells are so much stronger than yeah. like your nail. When attacks. you upgrade that like up attack, I think it, the second form of it is called the abyssal shriek where it's like all black. Yeah that you can re if you use that shaman stone it can like really melt bosses that's how a lot of the uh because a lot of the dream warriors when you're like upgrading the nail the dream nail will like float above you and so that's perfect for using that abyssal streak where you can just like blast them three times quickly and then it like cuts down their health to like a third yeah one of the bosses that i thought was one of the hardest 
for me was one of the dream warriors that like i forget what his name is but he has like that little dream shield that floats around him yeah the little flower yeah and so he like floats around and then he just has like these random spikes that like pop in and just fire at you mm-hmm. so you never really have a moment to like heal up if you've started taking some damage and he eventually has like two uh dream shields one that's like close by and then one that's further out and then like he'll pause for a second and like the outer one will like swing around like super fast so if you try to get close you'll you're likely to get hit by it Mm -hmm. um for some reason i found that boss to be pretty tricky and the answer ended up being use abyssal street uh shriek (laughs) on him as much as you can to like destroy him quickly and not have to you know play around with trying to hit him with nail very much and so that ended up being how i beat him (laughs) did you try to do that white flower thing no so i maybe i should just for like the ending or like the lore implications but uh i didn't like the idea of having to go pick up the flower and then try to like trek across the entire map basically and not ever get hit yeah it's so it's a it's because i thought i was like oh i'll trick it i'll take the uh the tramway but then you when you do that you get the flower like breaks immediately and i was like man i'm not gonna deal with this i mean that doesn't make any sense just from like a i agree practical sense like why would a flower break if you were riding a tram doesn't make any sense. Like, I can understand, like, maybe if you do the fast travel thing with the stag, like, maybe the you could argue, okay, the ride is rough enough that the flower will yeah, is so fragile that it will break. But, like, the tram should probably not be the case. But uh, I saw, like, there, I did look up a guide for that, and it was like, okay, so go get the flower and then do the, the entire trek all across the way and basically clear out as many of the enemies as you can. And if you take damage the first time, who cares? Just keep going until you take out all the enemies. And then use, like, that dream gate thing if you did take damage. Oh. And then go back to that spot and then pick up the flower again and then just re-go across the way and hopefully all the enemies uh, will be dead because you didn't rest at a bench. Smart. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So that probably is the best way to do it, but it just seems like an awful lot of work and trekking around. And so I was like, eh, I don't know if I care enough about this to do it. Although I did go around and find all the Mr. Mushroom guys. Yeah, that'll that's a little ending you can get. I don't, I don't understand the... It seems like a weird tacked on thing. Was that yeah. there uh, initially, or was that an no. add-on? I think it was included in one of the DLCs, and I think they have confirmed that Mr. Mushroom will return in Silk Song for sure. Because he doesn't... I've seen like that like little clip at the end of the game. Like I did sort of spoil myself and look yeah. up the different endings uh, just so I knew which one I wanted to go after. And... It seems like nothing really happens with that. It's just like yeah. a little cutscene at the very end. He's like flying around and it's like to be continued. And you just go, he okay. just sort of blasts off. I'm not sure that was really worth the effort to go around and find him <laughs> in like the seven different spots he's hidden around the map. But, but I did do it just in case. So you never know if maybe they pull a mass effect and, and have read your save file for Silk Song. Well, now that we have both played it, hopefully we'll get an announcement imminently. 
Yeah. So I guess, I mean, people have been saying it for years now, but like, this yeah. is the year. This is going to be the year for Silk Song, but we don't know. So I've been saying it for like two years. So, well, I looked up uh, in my looking up of guides and walkthroughs and different things like that and like lore videos. I've seen uh, videos that were like three or four years old where they're like, it's imminent. Any moment now, we're going to get Silk Song. I'm just like, nope. <laughs> it's crazy because there was an E3 back when E3 used to happen where they did a whole like Nintendo Treehouse Live about it where like they saw the trailer and then there were people literally playing the game for like two hours on live stream. So people were like, oh, this is happening quickly, I, I would assume. Uh, and then that was like four years ago or something. Oh, yeah. that So that reminds me. I did actually this week go back and re-listen to our some old shows where you were talking about Hollow Knight. Oh, yeah. Um, just to like out of curiosity to see like what we covered before mm. uh, when talking about it. And, and there were like two episodes like right before Elden Ring came out where mm. you were talking about how much you loved Hollow Knight. And... You mentioned that that there was like an E3 where there was basically a Treehouse Live where there there was like basically 45 minutes of Silk Song <laughs> and that was like so long ago yeah. and it still isn't out that it's insane. But the it is thing crazy. That, that shocked me about that episode had nothing to do with Hollow Knight. It actually was uh, Apex Legends had like first released the control mode and I was like talking about it, I have no memory of that. I have absolutely <laughs> zero memory of them like releasing that mode and that we had a little conversation about it and how I was like looking forward to re-downloading the game and trying it. Because hmm. when you told me a couple months ago that they had like team deathmatch modes and like control modes and like you know that mixed playlist that was like I was sure that was the first I'd heard of it because <laughs> I was so out of the loop on Apex. But we, when we, I went back and listened to that episode, I was like, wait, I'm literally the one bringing this up. <laughs> How do I not remember this? Uh, but yeah, so that was sort of the the origin of the maybe the mixed playlist of Apex? Question well, mark? speaking of Apex, I didn't put this in the show notes, but I texted you this yesterday or the day before. They released a little trailer for the Final Fantasy VII event, which is happening next week as we're recording this. I believe it starts on the 9th. Um, and it's interesting. It's a couple of cool things. in. So in-game, you can collect different materia. And so like one materia, when you shoot people, I think it gives you health. There's another one where I think a red materia, if you get it, you can spawn those little Nessie plushes and they'll like attack people for you. Uh, and then there's a couple others. I forget what they do, but materia is a part of it. There's the skins and there's also, uh, you can get the buster sword and it will like, you know, you can use it and stuff. There also is a buster sword heirloom. And apparently it's the first heirloom where anyone can use it. So normally heirlooms, Loba's inst for instance, is like a little fan that she can whip out. Uh, normally heirlooms are like player specific or I guess like legend specific, but the sword you can, I guess, equip on any legend, which is uh, pretty interesting. Is but it not just like a, a random drop in the map? It or is, is it well, so I think it's both. It, it's an heirloom you can get, but it's also an item that you can collect. Huh. Uh, like, I don't think you can actually use it to sword people as the heirloom. It's just like a 
cosmetic thing. Oh, but the the one that you find in the map you can use as a... Yeah, that one you can. And I think you can like zoom forward and like strike people and block stuff. I'm very excited. I think uh, I'm going to jump... I, I didn't play any Apex this week, but I'm definitely going to log back in and check it out. I've been doing a little like project on the side that has taken up a lot of my time. But uh, very exciting little update that I am excited to check out. We should definitely play some Apex this week. Yeah, I'm into that. I haven't played basically since before Christmas break, so it's been a yeah. little while uh, since I played Apex. It is funny uh, to note that like you and I are just coming back to Apex for like the first time basically since launch, and yeah. I've like seen some Apex videos where like the the like Apex YouTubers are like the opposite of us where we're like just getting into it and are super excited to play more of it and they're like mm, i'm gonna play the finals because <laughs> you know it's very stale right now <laughs> so yeah it's just like oh i remember this this is like being into destiny yeah. oh yeah our <laughs> old days of uh our on again off again relationship with destiny yeah so it's just kind of funny to see like basically every community is like that <laughs> Why, well, what do you think will happen with that marathon? It seems like it's delayed because Bungie laid up a bunch of people off, but I was a little excited for it. It seems like it's maybe not going to come for a while, though. Yeah, I'm not sure. Will it be basically another Apex slash Fortnite, but made by Bungie? Great question. I think it's more of an extraction thing. I don't even know if they've said what it is, but I like the art style of it a whole lot. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll be curious to see it, but I don't know if I need another like um, sort of season pass style yeah free-to-play shooter but um yeah i'm curious if they have intentions like like what their intentions for destiny are after that game comes out a great question um zach let's get into it it's a, we're a half hour yeah, i was gonna say to now, that, now that we're a half hour into this episode maybe let's uh list our top five games of the year do you want it? So, do you want to start with your ten through six, and then we can I can pick up when we get to the five? Uh, actually, I could do a top twenty. You want? Whoa! For my computer, just let's do it. Like went to sleep. I'll do my six through twenty. Oh, uh, just to knock it out. Do it. Start, we'll do start, it, with start 20. at twenty. Okay. So number twenty is that Immortals of Avium game that I think in time mm. will be considered like a, a cult classic that people slept on. It was, it was a little bit, it's probably not as good as like Titanfall two, but I think it's a little bit of the Titanfall two syndrome where it came out between like mm. a bunch of other games and there was just not a time for it. And so people skipped it. And I think in time people will be like, Oh, why did we not play this game? It was actually pretty good. Uh, so there's that. And then 19 is F-099, which is a fun little uh, reimagining of the SNES era F-Zero. And then uh, 17 and 18 are uh, Sea of Stars and Star Ocean, the second story are. I think those games could have been higher on my list if I had played more of them. I think they're good and fun, but I, for whatever reason, I just like didn't stick with them for very long. And I, but I liked what I played of them. Uh, 16 is viewfinder. Uh, 15 is Metroid prime remastered, which is another game that I liked, but didn't stick with for very long. 
Uh, 14 is like a Dragon Ishin, mm. same situation. A lot of these are like games that I started playing and liked, but didn't stick with uh, as long as I would have liked. Uh, 13 is Trine 5, mm. which I did play all the way through and liked quite a bit. Uh, 12 is Wild Hearts. Uh, 11, Dead Space Remake. I, I tend to try to avoid putting remakes on my like top 5 slash top 10 just because they're remakes, but I did play that one and like liked it. It was actually the first time I played Dead Space before. So, uh, ten is After Image, that uh, sort of anime Metroidvania inspired by Hollow Knight. Oh uh, yeah. Nine is Fire Emblem Engage. Eight is Super Mario RPG, a game I liked a lot, but uh, similar to Dead Space remake. It's like a remake, so I didn't want to put it too high on my list. Uh, seven is Cocoon. Mm which is that puzzle game that we liked a lot. And then six is Super Mario Brothers Wonder, uh, which I think I liked a lot more than most everybody else, it seems, because maybe it's just because I listened to the Min Max, <laughs> uh, like, top 20 episode they did. And they, for whatever reason, they just, like, were not into this game. I think it's because it's a 2D Mario really? game. But I think a lot of people were, like, not as high as they should have been on this game. Now, I did say, and I stand by, I don't think it should have been nominated for Game of the Year. I think that spot should have gone to something else. But I still, it's like a mm. very good 2D Mario game that, like, people that is like wildly <laughs> creative. With once you get the Wonder Seed, and they have like those crazy things that it does. Plus, like the online functionality of that game, I think, is like low key very fun and exciting that nobody talked about i don't know why but like it was a strand game it was a strand game basically uh and some hideo kojima in your mario game like i mean that's (laughs) worth no but yeah i i just found it like super fun to have those uh spontaneous uh little like cooperative things where like a level would basically turn into uh me and some other player just like waiting for each other to help each other out to make sure that we made it through like the tough platforming sections. And it was just like, <laughs> you wouldn't have gotten that. Like that wouldn't have happened if they didn't have this weird, like strand game element to it. Um, and I, I think nobody talked about it for some reason. I think it's because most people were like, Oh, what's this weird online thing? I'm not going to do that. Like, no, you definitely <laughs> should. If you're going to play this game, turn on the online stuff and play it that way. Cause it's so much more fun that way. Um, also the one reason why I didn't have it higher is because I think it's genuinely a bad experience in like actual couch co-op, uh, interesting because it's very difficult to, uh, like the game will sort of swap to a character, like one of the players as like, this is the guy who has the crown. This is like the main, uh, character right now. And the camera is following this person. So if you don't keep up with them or if they get too far ahead or if they fall far behind and you're trying to move ahead, the camera just stays on them. And mm. it, it can like it, it almost has like an, a literal presence where if the main like lead character who the camera is focused on gets too far ahead and you're like the second character and you're like waiting for like a platform to move a certain way before you try to platform the camera will just pull that character off into the abyss and you'll die. (laughs) And so it just has stuff like that, that I think 
makes it sort of not a fun like couch co-op game you can like be a little bit more deliberate and like work together and make sure that you're moving forward uh together but you have to like really be intentional about that whereas if you're just like if you have like three or four people playing together and you're just running around doing your own thing it becomes chaos and it Mm -hmm. is and not in a fun way uh where you get to the end of the thing and you're like did i really beat that level i don't think i did but um (laughs) that's why i think like the online stuff just playing solo with like online randoms is so much more fun than playing this in like couch co-op mode um so yeah i i think it's probably the best uh 2d mario game since the snes era but uh which is saying something but i also think it's a little bit disappointing that they didn't like i don't know come up with some sort of magical way of making couch co-op more fun uh, so that's that. Let, let's uh, get into our top five with your number five. I I wonder if this is on your list, and I wonder if it's higher. But my top my my number five is Starfield. Ooh, yeah. I'm I'm curious to hear your impressions on this. I never beat it, uh, but I still could <laughs> eventually. <laughs> uh, I. I was very into it for a while, and I really wanted to make the perfect ship in my eyes. And so I watched a bunch of guides reviewing all the modules and like the best ways to put them together and things like that. And I made a ship I'm pretty happy with. And then I I I can't remember if I talked about this on the podcast, but I did uh, like two full quest lines, and I was like, "This is great." And then I got to the quest line that is like the stealth quest line, which is the Ryujin quest line. Yeah. And uh, I think I got to like the final level in the Ryujin quest line, which is a big quest where they're like, you got to infiltrate this big building. You never can be seen. You have to do these like four different things. And I was just like, man, I don't want to do that. Uh, That sounds, I just want to kill things. Um and so I didn't play for a while, and then I didn't play for a long while. And I think that was maybe I think I'm my save is me still standing in front of that woman at Ryujin Industries. And so when I load it up again, I, I do sometimes get the itch to go back and play it because uh, I did have a lot of fun with it. Uh, but I also was just being like bombarded by YouTube videos and comments of people being like, "These are all the things that Starfield could have been." And uh, they like m- had to make these changes because of the engine and whatnot. But over- I mean, it made it in my top five. There's a-, a world in which I didn't even put it in my top five, but I do. Yeah. I enjoyed my time with it, and I will hopefully someday. It'll maybe will be the first Bethesda game I ever fully complete because I never have beaten Skyrim or Morrowind or Oblivion. I just have played them a ton and like restarted them eventually. Yeah, I think it's worth getting through and not letting those comments like get you down and make you avoid it because there's mm-hmm. like some really good quest lines there. Like I Starfield gets a lot of hate and I can understand it, but I think a lot of people are just like, "Oh, it's like fast travel the game where it doesn't <laughs> feel like you're actually flying around like in no man's sky. You're you're just like doing a a loading screen to like fast travel to a different area and it just looks like your ship is flying." And, like, fair enough, but, like, that's not a, a reason to dismiss the rest of the game. Like, there's a full game there with, like, story and characters and, like, shipbuilding and crafting and all of that stuff. And to just dismiss all of that, I think it's, like, a little bit 
unreasonable hate for this game for mm. and uh again like i point out like people are like well the even just like dialogue is just like shot reverse shot in like a very old-fashioned bethesda way and not like a modern well look at cyberpunk look how they did it and i push back on that only to say like mod support is like a thing and yeah you kind of can't mod uh a cyberpunk the way you can mod a skyrim and that's sort of bethesda's bread and butter like they you can hate the creation engine as much as you want and i think you and i have been have hated it in the past and have wanted them to like move to a new engine that looks more modern and allows them to achieve uh, a more modern looking game and i still think that they should do that for the next elder scrolls game they won't but i think they should (laughs) but um in fairness to what it is like mods are a big part of a bethesda game and people will they are already and will continue to make like pretty expansive additional like content to a game like starfield as the years go on because of the use of the creation engine Hmm. and so like fair enough it doesn't look as good as cyberpunk but like also 10 years from now you're going to get like crazy content add-ons that people modders have created in starfield that you will not get in cyberpunk so like well i mean and i mean they all released a bunch of dlcs for skyrim also so yeah i mean to this day people are still creating a huge content mods for like the, the fallout games and for skyrim and you're i think that's going to continue to happen like you people are making like mechs and starfield right now with mods (laughs) and so like you can do some pretty crazy things in a bethesda game that you can't do in other games so like as much as we want bethesda to advance to a more modern engine and do different things with their games like there's a reason they stick by it and I think it would be a little bit of a betrayal of the mod community if they did eventually switch over unless they made it somehow still like easily compatible with the different mods that you can do. Mm. So I don't know. I think that's a a fair point to bring up when you're talking about Starfield uh, because people really rag on it for the fact that it sort of feels like a game out of the same generation that Skyrim came out. Uh, and I think that's like a fair argument, but I also don't think it's fair to dismiss the rest of what Starfield is. But anyway, we can talk about my number five. Hit me with that number five. My number five is Pikmin 4. Oh. Which I thought was a fun little game. I, I haven't played the other Pikmin games, but there was something about this one that was just like fun to go around and collect stuff. And uh, I liked the sort of puzzle elements to it they they had those like little pipes that you could go down that were a little bit like warp pipes in a mario game but then they they sort of turned into almost like a uh, less puzzly but they were almost like going into a shrine in zelda Mm. where you had like a bunch of stuff to collect and some enemies to take out and you're just going around this like self-contained area that was not like the surface map and I found that stuff to be pretty fun. Um, and yeah, I think it's uh, it's a good game that uh, I think people are either really into or they just look at it and they're like, I don't care about this. But <laughs> I think it's uh, 
one of the best uh, games that Nintendo has made in the last couple of years. So hit me with your number four. My number four didn't come out this year, but I played it this year. And it's that Somerville game, which was the first game I played on Game Pass when I got my Xbox. I We talked about it on the podcast. I didn't love the ending. And I looked up how to get like the best ending, which is, I think, too convoluted yeah. to for any normal person to. And also the real ending or like the tr- the best ending doesn't super make sense in the like the lore of the game because in the real ending, you're reunited with your family. But I mean, when you leave your family, they're about to get eaten by a crazy beast. And then all of a sudden they're just there. So I don't know if it's like a fake family or I don't know. The ending of that game was confusing to me. I, I get what they were trying to do and it was cool to see. Uh, and I also, I love the art style of that game and playing it was super fun and interesting. And I never really hit any like brick walls in form of like difficulty or anything like that. But I don't know. That ending was not my favorite. I mean, there, there, there are other games have really good endings or not their other games. Cause it's a, a new developer, I guess, but like I really liked the ending of Inside. I thought that it was cool and yeah. unexpected and interesting. And this one was definitely unexpected, but also just like too difficult to parse what was going on. Yeah, that's why um, I didn't get into Somerville as much as like Limbo and Inside. I found yeah. it too convoluted, like you said. And I didn't even find like I think those other two games have like fun, interesting like puzzles and going like just moving movement around the world is sort of like fun and interesting and sort of yeah. keeps driving you to the next thing or the next area. Whereas this one, I felt, I felt like they didn't sort of achieve the same highs as those games did. And then, like you said, I just, I don't know how you would happen upon the correct ending unless you look up a guide for it. I did, like, it didn't seem like it was possible to like understand what was going on well enough to get to the ending that you actually want versus the one that I got, which was just like, whatever, <laughs> like, I didn't know what, what I was doing. Um, I don't know. Somerville didn't work for me, but I'm but if that, that team wants to keep it. making that type of game, I think they can nail it again. So like, I'm, yeah. I'm pro them making other games similar to that. And I thought, you know, I was a little worried because it, you know, it moves into that, uh, kind of a 3d, uh, I mean, the camera is not like movable. It's always fixed basically, but limbo and, uh, Inside. Inside are both 2D, basically. Uh, there's only like the the X-plane or whatever. But this, uh, I was worried it would be too weird, too big of a jump to include that extra dimension. But I think it worked. And I would also, I would play more games uh, that are like that. I mean, I guess Little Nightmares is like that. And yeah, so maybe I was going to say, Little Nightmares. Yeah, I think maybe the reason why it didn't land for me was because... I had played Little Nightmares 2 and that game I think is like vastly superior to Limbo and Inside. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just like the fact that there is like a puzzle element to getting around, but also it's like got this those other games are like creepy and uh sort of unsettling, but like Limbo or Limbo um Little Nightmares 2 like does that so much better I thought. I, mm. I highly recommend Little Nightmares 2. And there's like another Little Nightmares game coming out this year. Yeah. Um, so now would be actually a pretty good time to try to go back and play that game. But I think that game 
does what this developer is trying to do with this like 2d sort of uh no dialogue but still like storytelling Mm -hmm. i think it does that so much better that i think it was hard for me to get into somerville after having played little nightmares 2 what's your number four my number four is dredge Uh, ah yes a game i platinumed on a playstation 5 and it's just this like uh what is the term for that uh where you have like sort of the cthulhu element what is eldritch horror yeah it's sort of doing that but you're in like this uh this archipelago area and you keep like stopping in at the towns and you'll like talk to people and they'll give you quests and requests and you're sort of a, a fisherman who is moving around in this boat and you're you're uh fishing and dredging things up and then you can upgrade your ship which i found like really somehow like addicting to try to like get all the <laughs> upgrades i needed to to fully max out my ship but then you have this element of like uh wh- while you're managing storage it's sort of that I think it's like a Resident Evil thing where it's a little bit of Tetris where you're moving items and fish around to try to like store things in the um, most efficient possible way. Um, not just with like what you're catching or dredging up, but also with like the gear that you have on board, like your mm. your fishing rods and stuff like that. And normally I'm not into fishing games. Like I don't really care about that, but it was something about the world um, and the art style and everything that came together and made this one work for me. And it was like that you got to like go catch them all. You got to go find uh, all the collectibles and stuff like that. And so I think the mood and atmosphere and the story of this one, it all like really worked for me uh, in a big way. And I thought it was like a fun game that is also like really interesting to just like be in that world. So that's Dredge. Uh, What's your number three? My number three you talked about a little bit earlier in your list, but it is uh, Cocoon. Oh, yeah. Which I think we both really enjoyed. It was mm-hmm. uh, a really chill experience. Uh, it was, I, I, there was an article on like Polygon or somewhere that was like, it's a puzzle game where it's not really hard, basically, where the puzzles aren't hard. Yeah. And that's true. I mean, the only thing that was really difficult was like maybe one boss that I had trouble on that I had to play a couple of times, but very surreal. Uh, very it's like those videos you see sometimes of just like uh slowly going into a giant tessellation basically but uh i liked it i didn't really understand the story Uh, i never have like looked up a lore video for it who's to say if there even is one i don't know if there is an overall story but i love the way it looked that was another one i played uh on game pass which was great uh great to see on a big tv um yeah, I really I, liked the art style and yeah. like the atmosphere and the music of it. Great and, atmosphere. And yeah, they do like a lot of people like the criticism for this one was that the puzzles weren't hard enough. I didn't mind that. Like I I didn't it mind was, it either. I thought that they hit like a pretty good like I'm not a huge like puzzle game guy, so like maybe I'm just like not some puzzle genius that is like give me the hard stuff this was too easy like that didn't really happen to me when i was playing this game i thought they found like a good balance between this is like an interesting puzzle mechanic 
uh, between like going in and out of the different orbs that you're carrying and like stashing one orb in another orb and like also having like a thing that fires a projectile through one orb and it comes out a different one on and you have like the different layers that you're sort of going in and out of um i thought that was all really cool and interesting but also it is like like if i'm a, a puzzle game idiot which i probably am like <laughs> being able to solve this stuff is still managed to make me feel smart and clever to for having solved it and i thought that like that uh sort of achieving that while not making me ever at any point feel like i needed to look up a guide to do it but like i don't know i feel like it deserves some props for like finding that balance between being solvable without a guide but also like making you feel clever for having figured it out um so yeah i i liked cocoon quite a bit what's your number what do we at three yeah so my number three is final fantasy 16 ah i feel like that game kind of got a short end of the stick this year unfortunately because everything else came out yeah i mean sony i feel like sony pretty much always gets the short end of the stick because their games are like good but they're not like uh elden ring good or they're Mm. good but they're not tears of the kingdom good you know like they're they're very good games that people love and and people buy their console to play them but like none of the games media people are like gonna be over the moon for them in a way that like they're over the moon for whatever the top nintendo game of the year was but so it does get a little bit uh of the short end of the stick and i do think people were a little bit too hard on final fantasy 16 side quests like that's sort of maybe the weakest element of the game and I think people didn't like that it moved into more of a like God of War action style game with mm. the uh, the combat, uh, and they sort of remove some of those RPG elements where you're not like let me go into my inventory and like min max my build. You're not really doing any of that. But I really like the different powers and abilities you get throughout the game, and I liked uh, switching between the the different abilities. It feels like really smooth and fun to do the combat in the game and i i stuck with it long enough to platinum as which means i did have to play through it twice um the first time i played through it mainly for the story which there's a lot of cutscene to this game uh so that took a long time the second time through i skipped all the cutscenes and just <laughs> like mainlined the story to to get the platinum and it's not an overly hard game either like i don't think you would struggle too much on bosses but like some of those boss fights um are like these huge cinematic moments that are definitely very memorable um and i liked the characters as well uh i liked clive the main character and jill and uh, who's like sort of a side character who's also sort of uh the romance uh person in this game and some of the other characters i don't know i had a fun time with it and i i do think it's probably not as good as like the final fantasy 7 remake i think the the characters and story of that are like more interesting but uh i also had fun with this one it's sort of like game of thrones meets final fantasy uh but like an anime version of that Mm. um but i think it it was a fun game that got yeah like you said the sort of the short end of the stick uh in terms of reception but uh, what's your number two? 
Best ongoing game goes to Apex Legends for me. <laughs> Uh, obviously we've been talking about a lot on the podcast the last couple of months, but I think both of you, you and I have had a lot of fun checking it out and leveling up and, uh, both of us have unlocked a couple different characters. I've only unlocked Loba and, uh, Valkyrie, but I mostly play Loba, I have to say. Um, but I'm still liking it. I kind of have dropped off in the Christmas break cause other stuff has been going on, but even though it came out like four or five years ago. Uh, I'm excited for this Final Fantasy thing we talked about earlier on the podcast, and I also I played Titanfall 2 this year. I didn't put it on my list because I figured it was too old, and it's already been said that it's a great game, but Apex and Titanfall 2 have gotten me in the uh, headspace where I would love to have more of that universe. Everyone is always saying, like, can't wait for Titanfall 3 to come out. I would love for that to happen. Who knows if it's in development or not, but... Um, yeah, Apex is great, and it's a great thing to pick up. It has so many quality of life things over, like a PUBG or a Fortnite, and it's easy to play without talking to people, which is also great. They they introduced the pinging system, which everyone else has stolen, but they really designed it to be played like you have to queue with three people, but you can queue alone and just like fill them up with randoms, and uh, that I think is a very good like I would never do that in like PUBG, just like two random people playing along with me but yeah uh apex is my number two um what's your number two my number two is starfield ah. uh, so we've already talked a little bit about it but I, I think the those quest lines that are a little bit akin to like the guild quest lines and other uh, bethesda games are pretty fun and interesting i agree um I did like the the stealth one, the Ryujin one that you were talking about. I, I think like it does highlight a little bit like the the lack of uh, sort of progression in how they handle stealth in these mm. games. But it was like a change of pace from like pretty much everything else you do in the game um, to give you like this big sort of stealth uh, focused mission. But um, but yeah, I liked the ship building and I liked uh, you know being able to craft stuff and all of that. And I do think it would have maybe been stronger if they had set the game during like, cause one of the big things about Starfield is like uh, in the past, there was this big war between uh, sort of the UC uh, United colonies and the, what's the other one? Freestar collective. Yeah. The Freestar collective. And there's sort of a lot going on there that you're sort of learning about as like sort of backstory to the universe that they've created. And I think it would have been way more interesting if the game had been set during that time period, as opposed mm. to you're just learning about it, you know, having already happened. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it could have been uh, stronger in terms of like what the main quest line was even though I think a lot of those side quest lines were a lot of fun. Like I really liked the, uh, the crimson fleet one. I thought that was a fun one. Um, and like, I think it's a lot of the criticisms are fair, but I also spent like over a hundred hours playing the game <laughs> and ended up having a lot of fun with it. And it is definitely one of the games that when I look back on 2023 will be one of the games I remember, uh, that year for, um, and like, if they do keep adding more content onto it, I can definitely see myself going back to play more of it. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I think there are very legitimate criticisms for it that I don't think are like out of place. But I also think that it's a game that I liked a lot and I kind of don't care about some of those criticisms. So <laughs> uh, tell me about your number one. I wonder if we have the same number one, Zach. I bet we do. My number one is Tears of the Kingdom. Yes. Tears of the Kingdom. Game of the year. We, neither of us played Baldur's Gate 3. Eventually, yeah, I, was, I will. I was going to say, we, we almost have to highlight. There, there yeah. are like at least five games that I that people are probably going to be like, whoa, where are these games on your list? And it, we have to say, like, we don't do this for a living. So yeah, uh, we there are games that we did not get around to this year. Baldur's Gate 3, Liza P, Alan Wake 2, Armored Core 6, like Resident Evil 4 Remake. I think those are the games that everybody's like, well, why wouldn't those be on your list? And it's because we did not play them. But <laughs> eventually, I have a I have a goal to play Baldur's Gate 3 eventually, but Yeah, I was going to say like I think this year uh, cuz I think I don't know about you, but I definitely pre-ordered that like physical edition uh, that's going to come out in Q1 of 2024. Uh, yeah, to get the map, but also like, I think we will eventually make good on, you know, having played that game and talking about it on the podcast. So stay tuned to that, I guess. But yeah, let's talk tears of the kingdom. I loved it. I, I get that. It's like, it is iterative in a lot of ways of breath of the wild. And you're, you know, a lot of people say you're never going to recapture that magic that was breath of the wild exploring everything and learning what the limits were of the world but i kind of still think they did though i think they did that's what i was going to say i mean the sky islands the whole underground like they did a pretty good job of keeping the underground secret up until launch where people they showed the sky a whole lot but that was kind of an interesting thing i liked all the I thought I was really, I remember when the first uh, or second trailer came out and they revealed the building. I was like, I don't know about this, but uh, the building was cool. I liked that they had the auto build so I could just kind of set it and forget it. Uh, I liked everything about it, actually. The music, I completed it. I uh, I didn't do all of the like cutscene missions where you go back and see what happened in the past, but... See, I uh, did, and I, I, I really think that this is like a very strong like story driven version of Zelda that I'm not sure, like having not had a lot of experience with Zelda in the past, I like, I don't know if that's like one of the main, like strong points of Zelda games of the past, but I think way more so than breath of the wild, uh, tears of the kingdom, like hits on like a, a level with its story that that one did not. Um, like I liked breath of the wild, but I was never like, Oh, this is my, favorite game ever this is the best game ever made like i liked it a <laughs> lot but i was never that high on it i think i am pretty close to being that way with tears of the kingdom whoa i think they did enough with it like the uh the new abilities they give you like ascend and like ultra hand i think those are transformative enough yeah that it just like puts what they did with uh breath of the wild to shame a little bit like it like really adds like another layer to it um and like I love also that they don't ever limit you in like what you can do with ultra hand and what you can build. And they basically give you the tools to sort of break the game a little bit. (laughs) And it totally works when you do as well. Like you can, if you want to, you can in like the actual dungeons of the game, you can basically build uh, a glider 
to basically <laughs> skip everything and they let you do it. They're not going to be like, no, we're going to limit you and force you to go down the route we've created for you. They will actually let you do it your own way. And I think that's like a very smart thing. Uh, but also like all the shrines, like I could have played a game that was just like 150 shrines only. And it was just like this level based thing that was like, here's a bunch of like puzzles to solve. But that's like in this game on top of everything else. And so you have all of that to do. They did a really good job. The a criticism of Breath of the Wild was the world felt a little empty. Like it was very explorable, but also there wasn't much to explore. And they solved that problem with uh, Tears of the Kingdom because around every corner, it felt like I was coming upon something that mattered, basically. Like, yeah. here's an interesting beast that I can destroy. And it made killing animals, like, beneficial. You didn't want to avoid killing the strong animals or monsters because then you got strong things for your weapon to, like, make things. Like, the, what is it called? Merge or connect or link um what's the that ability (laughs) meld whatever it is that was also just like transformative to be like now i actively want to fight the big hard lionel because yeah oh i avoided those guys in breath of the wild but i actually like went on a a long like lionel hunting mission to to basically build up all of my my gear and everything yeah it's i that is like a genius thing uh like around every like there's that guy who's holding up the signs and he's everywhere so like you're just going down a path you're doing something else you see that guy you can spend 10 minutes doing a little physics puzzle like the world is so rich and dense in tears of the kingdom as opposed to breath of the wild i think to go back to breath of the wild it would just seem totally empty like what am i even doing and also another thing that makes it feel you know more crowded is that you have so many ways to go super fast in this game like you can jump up into the towers and start gliding. You can build cars and motorcycles, basically, and just, like, shoot around. And so you're never really just, like, alone for that long. There's always something to go to, and you can go there quick and get it done. But it's just yeah. such a joy to play. Yeah, and they they talk about how, oh, it's the same map as Breath of the Wild. But it's just like, yeah, but I explored it in a very different way yeah. uh, be- because of the the tools that they gave you. And so that did make it feel sort of transformative in that way. But also, like, I can tell when a game has, like, captured me and my, my uh, sort of imagination when there are, are spaces in the game where you just kind of want to hang out and, like, take it all in. Like, yeah. you, you're into the music and everything. And there's, like towns in this game that i just like i just liked being there you know (laughs) just to like see the sights and listen to the music and just like wanted to live in that world and there are definitely places that you go to and you you'll go there and there'll just be like a ton of like you could spend like 20 30 hours just like hanging out in that town like doing little quests and things and like uh getting a, a bunch of different stuff done there like there were so many people myself included that were like okay well we've been playing this game for like 60 to 80 hours i guess it's time to go do the first dungeon <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like finally time to actually progress the story of this game it's just like it's such a huge game that's so much fun to like spend time in that definitely i think this game hit on a level that even breath of the wild a game i liked just did not um and so I definitely think it deserves, even in the absence of, uh, you know, Baldur's Gate 3, uh, mm. 
I, I think it still is deserving of like the top spot. So I agree. So that's our, our top five list. Uh, we will eventually get around to Baldur's Gate 3. Um, and maybe we will revisit our, our list if and when we do. But I think for now, it's a pretty solid list uh, for both of us. And uh, I guess next week, we'll talk about the stuff that we're anticipating uh, for 2024. Um, did you have anything you were like playing, watching, or you wanted to talk about? Hmm. Have I been playing or watching anything? Not really. I've been working on a little project, which I'll talk more about maybe next week when I actually get it working. But I have decided to make myself a little like self-hosted cloud type of thing where I can host my own like photos and eBooks and stuff that I have uh, locally on like a little Raspberry Pi type of thing. It's a knockoff Raspberry Pi. Mm-hmm. But um I'm having a lot of fun configuring that and building it, but it is not working yet, and it's very frustrating. But when I do get it working, I'll tell I'll talk all about it. Hopefully next week. Awesome. Uh, do you have any parting wisdom? My parting wisdom is that it's great to have top fives. <laughs> yeah, make your own top five. Even if make you your own top five for 2024. Even if you don't do a podcast or anything like that, or you don't like have a, a blog that you do just make a top five top fives are fun even if they're not gaming related make a top five of some sort make a top five foods top five foods top five movies top five tv shows uh anything you can make a top five out of anything and do it uh and on that note <laughs> we'll catch you on the next one goodbye goodbye <laughs>